Well, good morning. As always, it is good to have this opportunity to be with you and to worship our great God together. And I'm thankful that we have been able to remember, to remember and to celebrate uh, the first Advent or coming of our Savior over the past three weeks. As I said earlier, we are blessed, brothers and sisters. God has sent His Messiah, and He has accomplished and is accomplishing that work that was given to Him by God the Father. And so we have much to be thankful for this morning, much to worship God for uh, during this time of year. But the reality is, brothers and sisters, every time we meet for worship on the Lord's Day, it should be a reminder and celebration of the first coming of our Savior, as well as a looking forward to His second coming. Well, today we're going to be con concluding our four-part sermon series on the Messiah. And today our text will be Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. But in the series so far, um, the first sermon of that series was entitled, The Messiah Promised. And Brother Ryan showed us from Scripture that the Old Testament is all about the promise of a coming Messiah. One who has been chosen by God and who will be anointed by the Holy Spirit to carry out the mission that was given to him. In the second sermon of our series, entitled The Messiah's Mission, Pastor Thomas showed us from Scripture that the mission of the Messiah was that he, you, His name should be called Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. But His mission was greater than just that. In Revelation 5, uh, Pastor Thomas showed us that we, we see the end goal of the Messiah's mission, which was to ransom a people for God from every tribe, and language, and people, and nation, and make them into a kingdom and priest to our God, and that these same people will reign with Christ forever and ever, and all this to the praise and glory of our triune God. So that was the mission that was given to the Messiah. In the, in the third sermon of our series, entitled The Messiah's Arrival, Pastor John showed us from Scripture that in order for us to be saved, there had to be more than a promised Messiah, and more than a mission given to the Messiah. You see, the Messiah had to actually come and carry out the promised mission. And so we saw that it was through the incarnation that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who was fully God and fully man, two distinct natures yet in one person, how he would carry out this mission. Because the incarnation was absolutely necessary for our salvation. For it was man who had sinned, Therefore, it would be a man who would have to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law and then pay the penalty for the sins of his people. And so Jesus the Messiah fulfilled this through his perfect life and sacrificial death on the cross. And so today we come to the final sermon in this series entitled, The Messiah's Message. And I want to consider the following five points with you concerning the Messiah's message today. Those five points are, whose message is it? What type of message is the Messiah's message? What is the content of the Messiah's message? How are we to respond to the Messiah's message? And then lastly, the necessity of the Messiah's message. So this time, if you would take a copy of the Scriptures and look with me at Mark chapter 1, and we're going to read together verses 14 through 17. 
Now this is the very Word of God that we are about to read. God says that His Word is able to make us wise unto salvation. He also says that His Word is able to equip us for every good work. So brothers and sisters, we need God's Word. And He has given it to us. We are, we are blessed. We have the very Word of God before us. So we have a great blessing. So may we hear that Word this morning and take heed to it. Verse 14. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Let us pray. Our Father and our most gracious God, we are thankful this morning that we have the great privilege and blessing of hearing from your Holy Scriptures, which are able to make a man wise unto salvation, because the Scripture is nothing less than your very Word. Father, you also, you also tell us that your Word is able to equip us and make us competent for every good work. So Lord, we ask you this morning, own the preaching of your word. And may it accomplish great things this morning. May it accomplish those very things. May it accomplish salvation and may it accomplish sanctification. May it be used in making men and women, boys and girls, who do not know the Lord wise unto salvation. Lord, we realize that it is only the truth of your word that, that can accomplish these great realities. And Father, we also realize that it is only through your Holy Spirit taking that word and applying it to the heart, illuminating that word in the heart, that it can be effective. So Father, I pray this morning that as the word is preached, that we would cling solely to your word and solely to the Holy Spirit's power in applying that word. May no other things come in, but may our trust be built only on the truths of your word. Father, I ask that you would take your word and, and use it this morning to accomplish what it was meant to accomplish. And I ask this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Well, the first point I want to cover this morning is the question of whose message is the Messiah's message. Now, this is a very basic point, but a point that I think that, me, that needs to be made over and over again. See, the importance of a message is defined both by its content and by its source. Now, what is the source of the Messiah's message? Now, that may seem very obvious. I mean, the title of the sermon is the Messiah's message. And so the obvious answer is, it is the Messiah's message. He is the source of the message. But notice our text this morning, how it confirms this in verse 14. It says, who is it that is proclaiming the message? Look at verse 14. It says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. So it is Jesus who is the source of this message. But I also want to draw your attention to the phrase, the next phrase. He says, 
He was proclaiming the gospel of God. Now what does that phrase suggest? Well, quite clearly it suggests that the message that the Messiah is proclaiming is actually a message from God. We learn from this verse that the message that we are going to consider today is the very message of God. This is the same phrase that the Apostle Paul uses at the beginning of the book of Romans where he says he was set apart for the gospel of God. So it's not saying that Jesus came to proclaim the good news or the gospel about God, but rather the grammar Mark uses is possessive. It is saying that Jesus came proclaiming the gospel that belongs to God. We might say that God is the author of this message. He owns the message. Now the gospel of God in this verse is referring to God the Father. This is further shown to us in the words of Jesus in John chapter 12 verses 49 and 50 where Jesus says the following, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I say, that is Jesus, therefore I say as the Father has told me. Now, if the Messiah's message is the message of God, then it carries with it the very authority of God. And so that is the first truth that I want you to grasp about the message today. It's not just any ordinary message. It is the very message of God, and therefore we must listen to it as such. But notice also in the same chapter, Mark 1, notice verse 1. Mark tells us that this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, although the gospel is the message of God the Father, we must understand Trinitarian theology. And when we do that, I think it is quite clear that the gospel is the gospel of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And therefore, the message given to the Messiah to proclaim carries with it the full weight of the authority of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so, EBC, we must understand whose message we are dealing with today, and we must respond appropriately to it. Now we move to the second point today, and that is to answer the question, what type of message is the Messiah's message? Well, our text says that Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Well, a synonym for proclamation is declaration. Now it is important that we understand that the gospel of God is to be a declaration of what God has done, is doing, and will do. This is what is meant by preaching the gospel. Uh, the Greek word translated as preach in the New Testament is caruso, which literally means to herald or to proclaim or to declare. Uh, the Greek word for declare means to set forth. And so the gospel is a message that is to be declared or set forth as a matter of fact. So what type of message is it? It is a declaration of fact. We see this in the Apostle Paul's declaration of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15. In verse 1 of that chapter, he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached or declare to you. He then goes on to declare the gospel facts. First, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Second, that He was buried. 
Third, that he was raised from the dead on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and then appeared to over 500 eyewitnesses. And so this message is to be declared as fact. But the Messiah's message is more than just a declaration. It's not less than that, but it is more. And so secondly, we must understand that the Messiah's message is a command. Verse 15 in our text shows that Jesus, the Messiah, the Lord, issues an urgent imperative or command when he says, repent and believe in the gospel. Now this statement of Jesus is not a suggestion. It is a command from God. 2 Thessalonians 1.8 says that judgment awaits those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So you see that. It is a command that is to be obeyed. And any person who refuses to obey the Messiah's message is sinning and is therefore under the condemnation of God. And so, dear ones, that command from Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is being declared to you right now. If you refuse to obey it, you are in sin. And so the Messiah says, repent and believe in the gospel. So I urge you, do not refuse him. So it is a declaration of fact. It is a command. But third, the Messiah's message is an invitation. Now, many people can't seem to understand how the gospel is both a command and an invitation at the same time. There's a lot of debate on that, and people ask the question, well, how can that be so? And I've thought through that question a good deal, and the conclusion that I've come to is that is a foolish question. <laughs> there, there is no question to be asked. The scriptures are clear. The Messiah both commands and invites sinners to come to him. Later on in the Gospels, Jesus will say, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And the scriptures declare that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, and that no one who has ever come to Christ in faith has ever been turned away. He receives all who come to him by faith. And so it is an invitation, a gracious invitation. And it's important that we realize that it is an invitation. You see, an invitation is necessary. Uh, Pastor Thomas preached a sermon a few years ago, and I can't remember uh, the text, uh, but an illustration he used stuck with me, and that illustration was the illustration of the president. You know, you can't just walk into the president's office and have a meeting with him. If you try to do that, you're probably either going to be arrested or even killed. You can't just walk into his office. You have to be invited in. Well, the same is true, and even to a, 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 an infinite degree more true about God. You cannot walk into His presence. He is a holy God, and we are sinful creatures. We cannot just walk into His presence. The only way that we can come into His presence is, is if He first invites us to do so. And, and we are so arrogant, I think, at times, to, to think that God owes us anything. He doesn't even owe us the invitation but He has graciously extended this invitation. The only thing that He owes us is the wages of sin, which is death and hell. And so God must invite us, and He has done so. 
The gospel is the invitation for sinful man to come into the very presence of God, to receive the forgiveness of sin, and to have fellowship with God. And so I urge you this morning, do not be foolish. The Messiah issues a command. Obey that command. Do not face the wrath of the Lamb for foolishly disobeying His gospel command. Also, the Messiah has issued a gracious invitation. Accept the invitation. Do not miss out on the blessings of salvation for foolishly ignoring His gospel invitation. So now that we have established whose message it is and what type of message it is, we must now move to the content of the message. And in a lot of ways, the the content of the Messiah's message has already been preached to you over the past three weeks. But I want to focus on the content of the Messiah's message by examining three statements that are found in verse 15 of our text this morning. So the first one, notice verse 15. The first statement is, the time is fulfilled. Now what is meant by this statement? Well, to understand the statement, the time is fulfilled, we must understand what Greek word for time is used in this text. You see, in the Greek, there are two words for time. One is the word chronos, which is where we get the word chronological from. It's the sequence of events, sequence of time. And the other has to do, um, so for example, like if you ask me, you know, what time is it? And I said it was noon. The word we'd be using there would be chronos in the Greek. But the word that's used for time in this text is the word keros. Thayer's Greek lexicon defines this word as such. It is a fixed and anticipated time. It is the time when things are brought to crisis. Another way of looking at it is, it is an historic moment. You know, you know all moments in time are historical because they're part of history. But there's only certain moments in time that are historic moments. Times that change the course of the world. And the most historic moment and period in the history of the world was the incarnation and subsequent life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about it earlier. We're about to move into another year. The year 2022. What does that year mean? It's the year of our Lord 2022. And so... Every time you see a calendar, that is a reminder that the promised Messiah has come. The time was fulfilled and He came. And so in this verse, the Messiah is saying in His message that the historic moment is taking place. What has been promised about the coming Messiah is being fulfilled. At this moment was a moment of crisis for the nation of Israel. It was a critical moment, a moment that demanded a response. And the only acceptable response was to repent and believe. And the same is true about the Messiah's message today. It was a crisis moment for the nation of Israel at that moment, but it's also a crisis moment every time his message is proclaimed. Because every time that message is proclaimed, you must respond to it. And the only acceptable response is repentance and faith. And so the first point about the content of the Messiah's message is that Jesus is saying that the promises concerning himself are being fulfilled. Now we move to the next statement that Jesus makes in verse 15. He says, 
and the kingdom of God is at hand. Now what is meant by that statement? Well, the phrase at hand can have two meanings. One is saying that the kingdom of God is near in time. And the other meaning is that the kingdom of God is near physically. I believe the emphasis of Jesus here is that the kingdom of God was there physically. Why? Because the king of the kingdom has, has arrived. The Messiah, the king, has arrived and he has come to establish his kingdom. He has come to crush the head of Satan and to ransom a people for God from every nation and tribe and language and people. And to make those same people into a kingdom and priest to our God. The scriptures say that the church is a royal priesthood, a holy nation. It is a kingdom. It is Christ's kingdom. And he came to establish that kingdom in his first advent. So brothers and sisters, the Messiah's message is that he has come and he is the king. And he will have dominion. And the only proper response to his kingship is repentance and belief. I would remind you also of Psalm 2, verses 6 through 12. And there it speaks of the coming reign of the Lord's Messiah. And in that psalm, God says, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath is quickly kindled. And then the last part of that. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. That's the same message that we're looking at today. The King has arrived. The only acceptable response to that is to repent and believe. And those who do that are blessed because they have taken refuge in the king. Those who refuse his command, those who refuse his invitation, it says for them to fear. It says for them to kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in his way. So if you refuse the king, you will perish under his wrath. But if you accept his invitation, if you respond obediently to his command, you will be blessed. This statement is also a crisis moment for the nation of Israel and by extension all who hear the Messiah's message. The king has come and he has come commanding all people everywhere to repent and believe in the gospel. So it was a crisis moment for them at that time. That was a fulfillment of Psalm 2. But it's also true today, as I've already said. You are under that crisis moment now. You must repent and believe for the king has come. Now the third statement in this verse is repent and believe in the gospel. Now this statement by the Messiah is very critical for us to understand the Messiah's message. See a few months ago we did a series on the meta-narrative of scripture which is just another way of saying the grand overarching story or message of scripture. In that series, I sought to make two very clear points. One is that the Bible is one story from Genesis to Revelation. It's not 66 different stories. It's one cohesive story. And that is absolutely critical 
for us to understand how to interpret the Scriptures. But the second point I tried to make was that the meta-narrative of Scripture was not just a meta-narrative, but in fact was the meta-narrative, encompassing all of reality. In other words, it's not just a story to read or a message to be heard, but we must understand that we are in the story. We are part of the message. And because that is true, the message of Scripture demands a response. We are not simply onlookers to this message. We are involved. And there are only two kinds of people on this earth. And that is those who are saved and those who are lost. Those who have obeyed this command and those who have not. There's only two types of people in this world. And you're one of those two types of people. You are in this story. And there's nothing that you can do to escape that reality. So that is true of us this morning. It is true of the message of the Messiah. Which, and the message of the Messiah is the meta-narrative of Scripture. And so we must respond. And as the Messiah clearly states, the only proper response is to repent and believe the gospel. Now, in order for us to understand this critical component of the Messiah's message, we must understand what it means to repent and what it means to believe in the gospel. Now, time will not allow for a thorough treatment of these two critical doctrines, so I will try to briefly summarize them. First, repentance means to change. It has been well said, a saved life is a changed life. This means there must be a change in a person. Now, this change will most certainly manifest itself in outward change. To repent includes a change in behavior. It is to stop evil practices that displease God and it is to start engaging in godly practices that are pleasing to the Lord. In short, it is going from being disobedient to being obedient. That's what repentance means. Now, although an outward change is necessary, the Scriptures make it clear that this outward change is the result of an inward change of heart and mind. And if this inward change of heart and mind has not taken place in you, you have not repented. See, oftentimes people think that repentance is to, is to understand that you're doing things you shouldn't do and then try really hard not to do those things. And then instead try to do the right things. That, that is not biblical repentance. Biblical repentance is when there is a change in the very affections of your heart. You now hate the sin that you once loved and you now love God and the things of God that you once hated or at the very least cared, little, cared very little for. And I've had conversations with people before who will say things like, you know, I know I need to get my life together. I know I need to start doing better. I know I need to start coming to church, etc., etc. And I'm sure you've heard people say the same things. And usually when people speak in that way, it's usually a very clear sign that they're probably not converted. They probably are still lost in their sins. You see, when a person has truly repented, they will say, I am wicked. I am a sinner. I cannot clean up my life. I can't just turn over a new leaf. I have only one hope, and that is the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. And they will begin to do the right things because they need to do the right things. They will begin coming to church not to try to please God or try to earn His favor, but because they need God. 
They need His gospel. They need His people. They need the, the, um, the means of grace in their life. It's, it's a desperation they need. Um, one, one person uh, stated that saving faith is the desperate thrust of a helpless soul upon the arms of an Almighty Savior. That's what true repentance looks like. It's a, it's a, out of desperation, we need God. And so we change. You see that? It's not, I'm going to try to turn over a leaf, a new leaf, and therefore God's going to be pleased with me and then accept me. It's understanding you are not acceptable and your only hope is the mercy of God. And so you run to Him understanding that He is your only hope. Now, this repentance is not perfect in anyone. And thus, there is the need for continued repentance. Another preacher, I think, rightly said, the evidence that a person has repented unto life is that they continue repenting. So, it's not, yeah, I repented a long time ago, therefore I'm good to go. The evidence that you truly have repented, that you truly have obeyed the command of the Messiah, is that you continue to repent. That repentance becomes a way of life for you. Okay? Because we continue to sin. And we need to continue to repent. And so the question before you this morning, the question from the Messiah is, have you repented of your sins? And are you continuing to repent of your sins? The Messiah's message is that you must do so. The Messiah also says that we must believe in the gospel. Now, what is meant by this? Well, again, this really deserves a whole sermon to address, but I want to give you three crucial aspects of what it means to believe in the gospel. First, there must be knowledge. Romans 10 says, How can someone believe in, believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear unless someone preaches to them? So I think this is a very basic aspect. We must know the Messiah's message first if we are to be able to believe in it. Right? So you must have the knowledge of the facts, the declaration of the facts. We must know the facts of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But knowledge in and of itself is not enough. A person can hear the facts of the gospel and not believe that they are true. There's many people who have heard the gospel and said that's foolishness. Right? So knowledge of the gospel is not enough for saving faith. It's critical, it's necessary, but there must be more. Secondly, after a person hears the facts of the Messiah's message, they must believe that those facts are true. Now many believe that this is enough for true saving faith, but it is not enough. You see, Satan and his demons believe and know the facts of the gospel, and yet that is not enough. They know that everything about the gospel is true. They know it's true. They believe it's true, but they hate those truths. You see that? So just agreeing with the facts is not enough. Many people saw the Messiah in the flesh and yet did not believe. So brothers and sisters, the reality is that every person in hell today, think about that, every single person in hell today knows the facts of the Messiah's message and they believe that those facts are true. And yet they still do not love those facts. They still hate the Messiah and they hate His gospel even now. So just believing that it's true is not enough. And so the third aspect of belief that must be present for it to be true saving faith is that a person must trust in the person and the work of Christ alone for their salvation. You see that? So we must know the facts 
We must agree with the facts, believe that these facts are true, and then cast ourselves upon the person and the work of Christ, realizing that He is your only hope of being saved. That's what true biblical saving faith looks like. Now, I've tried to make it very clear throughout the sermon that the Messiah's message demands the response of repentance and faith. But is repentance and faith our responsibility or is it a gift from God? Well, the answer to that question is yes. It is. First, it is clear from Scripture that the Messiah's message is it is man's responsibility to respond to his message in repentance and faith. The word respond and responsibility are, are linked, right? The only proper response is repentance and faith. It is our responsibility to respond in that way. Repentance and faith. And if we do not do so, if we do not respond in repentance and faith, we are sinning. We are sinning against God. But at the same time, the Messiah says in John 6 that no one can come to Him unless the Father draws them. And later in that chapter, He says, it is the Holy Spirit that grants life. The flesh is of no help at all. In Ephesians 2.8, the Apostle Paul plainly says that faith is a gift, not the result of works. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, we see that repentance is also a gift that comes from God. It is granted to us. So, it is true that our, it is our duty, it is our responsibility to repent. But, in our fallen state, we are unable to do that. We are unable to repent or believe apart from the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. And so, our confession of faith calls faith and repentance evangelical graces. That is, they are gospel graces. These are good gifts that come from our loving Savior. And see, so it's right, it's right here at this point, I think, that the, me, the message of the Messiah, it dovetails very, very neatly, I think, into, into the wonder of the covenant of grace. If you have a copy of the Trinity Hymnal, please turn to page 674. And notice chapter 7, paragraph 2. It says, moreover, man having brought himself under the curse of the law by his fall, says it pleased the Lord to make a covenant of grace wherein he freely offers, here's an invitation, unto sinners life and salvation by Jesus Christ, requiring of them faith in him. There's a responsibility. There's a condition. They must respond in faith that they may be saved. Now, what does that sound like? That sounds like the Messiah's message to me because that's what it is. But notice what it says next. And brothers and sisters, if this doesn't cause you to rejoice in the grace of the Messiah, I don't know what will. It says, And promising to give unto all those that are ordained unto eternal life His Holy Spirit to make them willing and able to believe. 
And so, do you see that? What we have here is that the Messiah's message is that you must repent and believe in the gospel in order to be saved. That is the conditions of the covenants of grace. That is the conditions of the Messiah's message. And just offering this is a gracious act of God. Remember, He doesn't owe us this invitation. He doesn't owe us this offer. But you see that God does more than just offer salvation to sinners. He does a miracle in their hearts through the work of the Holy Spirit to make His people willing and able to repent and to believe. And so not only does God provide a gracious covenant to help to us, He also meets the conditions of that covenant on our behalf. So you see that. The Messiah's message is one of grace from beginning to end. It is grace upon grace. If you are a Christian here this morning, it is because of this amazing grace of God. That is, that is a wonderful message. That is the Messiah's message. You must do this, but you can't do it because you're sinful. But He loves His people so much that He meets the condition for them. Amen. He gives them the very conditions that they need to be saved. You see that? It is, it is a gospel of grace from beginning to end. Now, many people are frustrated by this. But this is not a truth that should frustrate us. But rather this truth is designed by the God of grace to drive us to see that our only hope is the grace of God. So again, this is not a question to, to be debated. Is it your responsibility to believe and repent in the gospel? Yes, it is. Can you do this apart from the saving grace of God? No, you can't. So that's not up for debate. That is the gospel truth. And if your heart turns against that in anger you're not saved. But if your heart cries out to the God of grace for mercy, that is an evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in your heart. You see that? So this is, the whole, the whole message is, is designed by God to drive us to only one place. We have one hope, that is Christ and His grace. You see that? So that, that is the Messiah's message. Now we must move on to our fifth and final point today concerning the Messiah's message. And that point concerning, is concerning the necessity of the Messiah's message. So if you would look back at our, at our text today and notice with me verses 16 and 17. Of Mark chapter 1. It says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And so we see from these verses that the Messiah's message is one that is to be continued on by the disciples of Christ. He calls his disciples to be fishers of men. That is, he calls his disciples to seek the salvation of men. Now for time's sake, I'm going to condense this section of how disciples are to be fishers of men by simply saying that the only means the disciples are given to be fishers of men is what? The message of the Messiah. And that message is enough. We should never grow weary of the message. And think that we can attract men to Christ in any other way apart 
from the proclamation of the gospel of God. Right? We have, we have one message, and that message is, in, is intended to drive people to one place, and that is their, their only hope is Christ. You see that? And so the means by which we are to be fishers of men is the proclamation of that, that one message, and the only message that it, it, and it is the only message that can save. Now, this moves me to my last sub-point for today's sermon. And that is to look briefly at our gospel heritage and how we have been left a great example by our Baptist forefathers concerning the necessity of the Messiah's message. In the 17th century, three of the greatest confessions of faith were written. Uh, the Westminster uh, of the Presbyterians, the Savoy of the Congregationalists, and the Second London Confession of the Particular Baptists which is the confession that our church holds to. Now, one of the interesting differences that you will notice if you compare these confessions is that there is a chapter contained in the Savoy and the Second London that is not found in the Westminster. And that chapter is chapter 20, entitled, The Gospel and the Extent of the Grace Thereof. So at this time, I would ask you to turn again to the back of your Trinity hymnal and notice page 681. Now, the question we need to ask is why was this chapter added in the Savoy and the Second London Confessions? Well, the preface to the Savoy Declaration answers this question where the lead drafters of that confession, which were John Owen and Thomas Goodwin, they wrote the following. They say, a few things, this is a few things we have added, that is to the Westminster, a few things we have added for obviating some erroneous opinions that have become more broadly and boldly here of late maintained by the asserters than in former times. So there was, there was a, an erroneous opinion that was circ circulating through the churches. And so, and remember the Westminster was written before the Savoy and the Second London. And so this era was of, of to such a magnitude that they felt that it needed to be addressed in their confessions of faith. Now what was that era? Well, the era that was being spread was the teaching that it was not necessary for a person to hear the gospel in order to be saved. Groups like the Quaker movement, and one of their leading theologians, Robert Barclay, taught that the knowledge of the gospel was profitable and comfortable, which is, sounds good, but he said, but not absolutely needful for salvation. Closer in, Thomas Grantham, who was a general Baptist during this time period, he wrote the following, Those who never hear of Christ may be saved as long as they live faithful and virtuous lives. So the gospel not necessary for salvation. Closer in, even in the midst of the particular Baptists or the Reformed Baptists, this era was present. Thomas Collier, who planted many Reformed Baptist churches in England during this, during this period, he ended up repudiating, repudiating his Calvinism in the 1670s and he taught the following, quote, Though there is no other name under heaven given among men by which men must be saved, Acts 4.12, yet we must own 
that many have been saved and may be saved by that name had never heard of Him. And so could not have faith in Him, for we may not suppose that any shall die the second death for not believing in the Son of God crucified who never heard of Him. So you, see, you see what he's saying, right? Saying people can be saved by Jesus, but never hearing the Messiah's message. So again, this, the error that was spreading was the gospel message, the Messiah's message, was not necessary for salvation because it was being taught that people can be saved without ever hearing the gospel. Well, our confession addresses this in paragraph 2 of chapter 20, where it states, The promise of Christ and salvation by Him is revealed only by the Word of God. Neither do the works of creation or providence with the light of nature make discovery of Christ or of grace by Him so much as in a general or obscure way. What's that saying? What that saying is through general revelation, natural revelation, we can learn a lot of things about God, but we cannot learn about the gospel from those things, right? Not even in a general way or an obscure way. In no way can you know about the gospel just by looking at natural revelation. Further, it says, much less that men destitute of the revelation of Him by the promise or gospel should be enabled thereby to attain saving faith or repentance. And so our forefathers made the point clear. It is only through the revelation of the gospel, through the word of God, that a person can be saved. But the scriptures makes this point even more clear. Here at Romans 10, verse 13 through 17, it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news! But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. And so the gospel, the proclamation of the Messiah's message is absolutely necessary if men would be saved. Now the question for us as a church is this. Do we believe that? Do we really believe that there is salvation in no other name but Jesus and that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word or the message of Christ? If we really believe that, that will impact our view of and our participation in evangelism and missions. You get that? If we really believe that it is necessary that the gospel must be proclaimed for people to be saved, that's going to make a big difference in the way that we view evangelism and missions. Number one, it's going to show us that the only method that we have in evangelism is proclamation of the gospel. There's no tricks, gimmicks, things that we can do to trick people into believing. The only thing that can save a person is faith in Christ in, in the message of the Messiah, right? Also, if that's the only way a person can be saved, we are going to be motivated to actually do evangelism and missions, right? So it's very important that we get this right, and I'm, I'm very glad that that chapter was added into our confession of faith. It's a very critical truth. So, it has been well said that there are only 
two things on earth that will last into eternity. What are those two things? You think about it. This, this whole world is going to pass away, right? There's only two things that will last into eternity. One is the Word of God. The message of the Messiah. The other is the souls of men and women. Everything else in this life will pass away. Therefore, wise is the man who invests his life into these two realities. The message of the Messiah and his own soul along with the souls of others. Foolish is the man who takes no thought of these things. See that? There's only two things that will last. The Messiah's message and the souls of men. And the only thing that can save the souls of men is the Messiah's message. And the thing that condemns the souls of men is those who refuse the Messiah's message. So this is the primary task of the church, is it not? We are to give ourselves to the proclamation of our Savior's message to the souls of men. Now this doesn't mean that all of us will be preachers, but what it does mean is that we will use whatever gifts that God has given us to the end that the message of the Messiah will reach souls for their good and for the glory of Christ. Now we must bring this message to a conclusion and as we conclude, I want to direct the Messiah's message to three particular groups. First, what is the Messiah's message for unbelievers? Well, it is to understand that the Messiah has come and He is the King and He invites and commands all men everywhere to repent of their sins and believe in the Gospel. And if they do, they will be saved. And if they do not, they will face judgment. And so this morning, if you are an unbeliever, and if you have never repented of your sins and trusted in Christ for salvation, the Messiah has spoken to you. He says, repent and believe in the gospel. Now for those of you in here who are believers, who have repented and trusted in Christ, what is the Messiah's message for you? It is to go on repenting and believing in the gospel. The only proper response to the Messiah's message is that whether you are an unbeliever or a believer. Think about it. If you're a believer here this morning, what is your greatest need as a believer, as a Christian? What is your greatest need? It is to repent of your remaining sin. And it is to grow in your faith in Christ. It is to be conformed more and more into the image of your Savior. And so I urge you, believer, I urge you, Christian, listen to your Messiah today and obey His, me and obey his message. Repent and believe in the gospel. And then finally, the Messiah's message to Emmanuel Baptist Church. What did the Messiah say to his disciples when he called them? He said that they should follow him, and that in so doing they would be made fishers of men. And so may we as a, as a church be faithful to follow the head of the church, the Messiah, and may we be faithful to continue the proclamation of the Messiah's message until the Messiah returns or calls us home. Brothers and sisters, if you have heard and responded appropriately to the Messiah's message, you truly are blessed. As we looked at earlier, 
The only way that you could have done that is by the very grace of God. You are truly blessed. Your future is very good if you have trusted in Christ, repented of your sins, and believed in His gospel. You are very, very blessed. And if you have not done so, the Savior invites you. Come unto Him. Repent of your sins. Believe in Him. And you will be saved. So with those things in mind, let us, as we depart today, let us, li let us live in such a manner that our lives are a, a testimony to the value of knowing God. See that? Our lives, the way that we live our lives, other people should look at us and say, there's something different about that person. Their lives should be, our lives should be spreading abroad that it is valuable, more valuable than anything else in the world to know God and to know His Son, Jesus Christ. God bless you. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our gracious God, we thank you so much for the Messiah's message, which is your message. Lord, we are thankful that we have heard that message today. Lord, we are thankful that others before us were obedient and responded to the message in repentance and faith and then went forward and, and proclaimed that message. Lord, we know that the only reason that we are believers today is because someone, somewhere, proclaimed the Messiah's message to us. So, Father, may we be faithful. May we respond appropriately to it. And may we spread it abroad. May we make Christ known and His message known throughout the world. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, this time, if you would, take a copy of the Hymns of Grace, and we will sing together. Hymn 225, Go Tell It on the Mountain. If you would, please stand. <clears throat>